Today we're starting a new series, and the title of it that I felt God really put in my heart was just the word rebuilt. It's time to rebuild. Did somebody say what? What's wrong? Are you okay? The word rebuild has been on your heart, and you're a very important part of this church. In fact, this morning, this is true. This is Lindsay, everybody. Lindsay's been part of our church. For all those watching online, this is Lindsay. But you've been part of our church from day one. Help plant, start the church with your husband, Andrews. But uh, today, this morning, driving on the way over to, uh, back to the office, I set up, helped set up for a little bit and drove home and changed clothes. And yeah, it's a little bit of a pitch. We could do some help set up teardown because I had to get here at 6 a.m. with everybody. All right, so I got here, helped set the church, and then I drove home to change clothes and grab my Bible and all of that. And then I came back here. And on the drive over, this is true. I felt like God spoke to me and said, I need to make sure that you're here today because he wants to do something for you. But then I thought, she's, it's probably it's 8 o'clock. She's got two kids at home. If I call her and wake her up, she'll do the quite opposite. She won't come. And she'll be mad at me. Like, I'm literally processing. No, this is true. I'm like, I woke her up. She's like, are you kidding me? And make you feel guilty. I was like, I went through this whole thing. So then I thought, no, I'm not going to call her. And so I kept driving. And now here you are. So now I'm realizing I probably should have called you and told you that. But now I'm trying to tell you that now. Because that's all true. All right. Amen. And here you are in the front row. Rebuild. Do you know that's how God, the reason I shared that, because I don't want any of you left out of how God speaks. I'm telling you, that's how God speaks. If you've ever wondered, how do you know God's talking? I'm telling, what just happened is how you know God speaks. I know God's speaking to me because he just confirmed it with what she just did and what just happened there. That is very practical. God speaks to his people. Amen? All right. Do you need these lights on a little bit? Do you need some more light back there? If you need light, we're going to work on getting lighting in our house, by the way. I know it's kind of dark out there, but we're going to be working on that hopefully in the near future, next few weeks. Hopefully, we're able to solve the problem and get you lighting. Amen? So you can kind of see and, and take all these wonderful notes as God downloads words into your heart. A thousand years after the time of Moses and 400 years before the birth of Jesus, the nation of Israel... And the Jewish people were in a desperate state. Their nations were destroyed. First, the northern Jewish kingdom, Israel, and then the southern Jewish kingdom, Judah. The city of Jerusalem had been completely conquered by the Babylonians, and the once glorious temple of Solomon was destroyed. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem, they deported almost everyone from the city and the region for some 70 years, and Jerusalem was basically a ghost town with the potential to end up like many ancient cities, completely forgotten. When the Jews were deported to Babylon, they began to make homes for themselves, and they settled down, and many still followed the God of their fathers. But they did it from Babylon, with no desire to return to the land God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, they were given the opportunity to return to their homeland, the once promised land by God. Out of some two or three million Jews that were deported from the land, only about 50,000 decided to return to the promised land, which is just about 2% that returned. And it's this group that began to rebuild the temple 
and lay a spiritual foundation for Israel once again. The book of Nehemiah begins almost 100 years after the first captives came back to the promised land. The temple has been completed, but the walls remain at a standstill. Ezra 4 verse 12 speaks about this. To about 75 years prior to Nehemiah, where they had tried to rebuild the walls. So they are taken over, their city's destroyed, the temple's destroyed, the walls are destroyed, and time goes by. Eventually, they're able to go back after 70 years to rebuild the temple. They get the temple accomplished eventually. The temple starts to go up, and the walls were also going up, but they face some opposition, and the walls remain at a standstill. Now, Ezra, one of the men who helped rebuild the temple, who helped lead that process, actually, he was really more known for rebuilding the spiritual foundation of Israel once again. But it says in Ezra 4, verse 12, it says, the king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding the rebellious and wicked city, They're restoring the walls, repairing the foundations. Then verse 23 and 24 tells us why they stopped. As soon as the copy of the letter came to King Artaxerxes, was read to Rahum and to Shishamai, I guess is how you might say it, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem, compelled them by force to stop. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius, the king of Persia. The exiles had returned to rebuild their city, their temple, and their nation, but they were stopped by their opposition. But then eventually a man named Zerubbabel came and encouraged the people to rebuild the temple, and they did in 515. Then about 57 years later, a man named Ezra comes, who of course is the author of Ezra, who just wrote about. He comes and he leads the nation in a season of repentance. Then 13 years after Ezra is where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1 is where we're going to be today. I'll give you some context to what I just read to you. I have some Legos down there. I won't take the time to bring them up. I thought about bringing them up, but I think you'll get the point without me having to do it. How many play with Legos when you were a kid? Anybody anybody still play with Legos today? Amen. My kids love Legos. I have a love-hate relationship with Legos because we have a one-year-old. And I love the fact that my older children get to play with the Legos, but then the one-year-old likes to eat Legos. Has anybody ever had a child swallow a Lego? And Not yet. Did I see a hand? No, no hands. Only us. Okay, amen. (laughs) You know what happens when a child swallows a Lego. All right, so the point is uh, Legos. One of the things that I find out that's true with the, the Lego, the, where I'm going with this is, my kids try to build a tall tower. Did you ever try to build a, build a tall tower? Yeah. And you would take the, the Legos and you stack them up. Do I need to get out and, or are you following me? Okay. So you get the Legos and you, may, and you see how tall, anybody ever do this before? You see how tall you can get it? And then eventually it starts to, to bend a little and then it falls over and then you try to do it again. Well, our kids like to try to build the tall towers. The problem is the youngest one likes to come in and do what? Knock it down, right? And then the yelling starts. But the good news about the Legos is there's always an opportunity to rebuild. 
And so they do the rebuilding process. In the story of Nehemiah, these walls were up, the city is thriving, the nation is going well. The walls come crumbling down, the nation falls apart. The enemy comes in and takes over. God is forgotten. God's people are sent off to exile. They're in slavery 70 years. They have no identity. They have no nation. They have no place to call home. The once city that was filled with God's presence is forgotten about, or so it may seem, to ghost town. Eventually, the people are sent back. They're allowed to rebuild. They start to rebuild the temple first. The problem is, somewhere in the process of all the construction, opposition comes and puts the whole building process to a stop. And they get the temple up, but they don't get the walls up. So Ezra comes in, helps the people spiritually. In other words, you got the temple up, but you're still spiritually lacking because they were intermarrying. They were doing some things they weren't supposed to do. They were not fulfilling God's commands, and they weren't putting God first. Some of the influence, some of the culture, that, listen, some of the culture, I hope you follow the preaching today, some of the culture that they had grown up in and been a part of was influencing their community. And so Ezra is sent by God to lead them in a season, not a day, not a moment, not a Sunday, of repentance, and 13 years passes. And the nation repents. God, we're not putting you first. We repent, we want to put you first. And now, after they are spiritually prepped, God sends a man named Nehemiah to begin to rebuild the walls. That's where we get Nehemiah 1, verse 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. Don't worry about who that is. Okay? And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was in Persia, but his heart and interest were in Jerusalem, which is about 800 miles away. He wanted to know about those who were returning and how the people in the city were doing. What's interesting about this is who Nehemiah was and what he was doing for a living. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He didn't have a ton of power, but he did have a lot of influence. In layman's terms, Nehemiah had it made. Do you know anyone that has it made? Like, they got it made. Do you know anyone that has it made? What kind of things do they have? Shout them out to me. They got a house? I hope so, because they don't have it made. <laughs> they got it made. Do they have a house? You said security. Financial security. The people that we say have it made have financial security. Can we agree? That's what we say. They have financial security, right? They got it made. What other kind of things are people that have it made? They go on vacations often? Man, they got it made. College is paid for. They got it made. 
Healthy, they got it made, yeah. They got it made, living in luxury. They got a swimming pool and a hot tub. They got both, they got the combo. And they got a screen porch and a retractable roof. They got it made. They got jet skis and boats. Season tickets. VIP, they got the, they're in the AC environment. With free chicken wings, they got it made. Are you following me? I want you to know Nehemiah had it made. But his heart was somewhere else. Nehemiah was living in luxury. He had it made. He didn't have all the power, but he lived in the palace. He had it made. And yet his heart was somewhere else. Nehemiah had it made, yet because his heart was on God, his heart was on the things of God. You need to hear the order today. His heart was on God, and because of that, his heart was on the things of God. In other words, what bothered God's heart bothered his But first, his heart was on God. So he was living in this luxury, but his heart was on God. And so his heart is also on the things of God. But his heart, you got to hear the priority, was first on God and God alone. So what bothered God's heart naturally bothered his, which helps us understand Nehemiah. Nehemiah was bothered by what bothered God for one reason. Because even though he had it made, he never forgot who his maker was. He never forgot where he came from, if you would. Who his God is. Where his submission, who his authority is. Who his master is. So his heart's on God. Because of that, God's going to give him a piece of his heart. Verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and they're in disgrace. These are a couple of words they're going to unpack. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Disgrace is the Hebrew word for shame or scorned by their enemy. These people are living... I want you to hear this word in captivity. Captivity to what? There's shame and disgrace. They have no freedom. And they're constantly scorned by their enemy. They live in a constant state of defeat. Their marriage is defeated. The personal life is defeated. Their finances are defeated. It's like they live in a state of depression. They live in a state of anxiety. They're in this constant state of disgrace and shame. And they're constantly scorned by their enemy. This is the state of the people of the nation. We're not worried about the economy right now. We're talking about the people. Where the people are. Where their heart is. In the ancient world, a city without walls was completely open. 
and vulnerable to its enemies. They had no defense, no protection at all. An unwalled city had nothing valuable in it. If there were anything of value in an unwalled city, it would be stolen away easily because there was no defense to stop it. So the people living in an unwalled city lived in constant stress and tension. Let me pause. Do you know anyone that lives in a constant state of stress and tension? Come on, church. Do any of you live in a constant state of tension and stress? Let me see your hands. Where are they? And those who are not, what is your secret for those who are, no, no stress at all. And this is, I saw a couple married couples, and I know you're married, and you did not lift your hand. So I'm just curious, what is your secret? And I'm also wondering what just happened to you, because I'm wondering if you just went, gosh, they're stressed and tensioned. I wonder what their life is like. Constant. Oh, constant. Okay. Occasional. Anyone are a, a weekly, occasional stress attention? Wow. <laughs> really? That's how we are? Well, you said constant. All right. Wow. Constant. Amen. Amen. Now, see, I, what just happened was you thought, oh, he's going to call us up. We better lift our hands. That's what happened. All right. Stress and tension. Stress and tension. I want you to imagine living in a home where you are constantly feeling threatened by an enemy. Now, just think about it. Take your current house, take your current scenario, and put it in the worst, most criminal place on planet Earth. And tell me how you sleep at night. It doesn't matter if you have ADT. It wouldn't matter. And it wouldn't matter even if you had a 9-millimeter gun. When you're up against a nation of people who are ready to break into your house and take whatever you have and your wife and your children, it takes a lot greater defense system. These men of these homes, think about this. Think about how they had to live. They had no defense. Completely vulnerable. They didn't keep anything of value. The temple was built, but there was nothing valuable in it. Because if they put anything valuable in the temple, they knew that the people could come in and take it. So it wasn't as it should be, per se. They live in a constant state of tension and stress and anxiety and worry. And the big, big F word, fear. Does anyone here live in a constant state of fear? I know I said constant. I said constant on purpose. A constant state of fear. Fear? Fear? Constant state of fear. Fear of something. Fear of this. Fear of what's going to happen. Fear of child. Fear of what's going to go on. Fear of what's going to happen in my marriage. Fear, 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 fear. And fear is constant. Some of us say, I'm not a constant, but maybe it's occasional fear. These people were living in a constant state of fear. I want you to know 
God is not okay with that. God was, God says, I am the God of the Most High. And when you make me your refuge, I will carry you. And I will get you through and I will sustain you. Do not fear the one who's in the world. Have no fear but the fear of me, the reverence of me. Make me your dwelling place. Perfect love, what? Come on. Cast out fear. I want you to know perfect love so that you don't live in a constant state of fear. Perfect love. My love, God says, drives out fear. I don't give a spirit of fear, but of power. Come on, church. Are we reading our Bibles? Okay. Power, love, and sound mind. Not a spirit of Does God give the spirit of fear? So where does fear come from? So if you're living in a constant state of fear, who has a hold on your life? So the people of this nation are living in a constant state of fear, which means they are constantly controlled by the enemy. So they're living as slaves to an enemy because they're living in a state of fear. Shame and disgrace. God is not okay with his children living in fear. So he sends Nehemiah. The people of God were living as survivors. Sure, they were. A survivor is a person who remains alive. It's not a bad thing. They had survived and overcome difficult situations, but they still were not thriving and living the life that God had for them. So when Nehemiah hears this news about how the people were living in a constant state of fear, they were enslaved to the opposition. They were back in the city, but they weren't living the life that God intended them to live. They showed up to church, but they didn't have the freedom the church was supposed to give. It bothers Nehemiah. So verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. A couple of words. Sat down. It's the Hebrew word to dwell or to remain or to abide, to sit, to abide, to dwell, to remain, to stay there. Physically, he sat down. But we're going to find out it wasn't just for a moment. He began to abide and remain in the presence of God. When you Live in the presence of God. Fear goes out. So if fear is on you, get in the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, God, I'm remaining in you. You are my God. Nothing can come against me. I have nothing to fear. You watch over me and you stay in the presence of God. Fear goes out. 
So Nehemiah, he sits down. Hebrew, he remains. And he sits. And he abides. It's where he begins. And then he weeps. I looked up the Hebrew word. I didn't know. And it meant to shed tears. All right, so that's easy one. He cries. Tears. For some days, I'll get to that one in a minute, I mourned. The word mourn is to lament, which is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. You ever seen something on TV that breaks your heart and you go, oh, that's sad. Keep moving on. It's not a real expression of grief and sorrow. I mean, you feel bad, but you keep moving on. I've talked about this before in the arms of the angels, the pet commercial. Yeah. Yeah. I see that one. I'm like, who cares? I know. It's terrible. But it's me. If that's my sin, it's what it is. I've never given a dollar, and I probably never will. A point to you is you see something that breaks you. Maybe you watch that commercial and it wrecks you. And you just begin to express grief. You see people that are homeless. You see poverty. You see, you see a child abused. You, you walk in poverty. I remember one on a mission trip to Honduras one year and I laid in a hammock for a week and slept with a group in a church. And we would wake up every day. This, I mean, this is just like 10 years ago. I mean, not like, you know, forever ago. People still living this way. And I'm laying in this hammock, and every morning we're waking up by these voices of children on a chain-link fence asking for food. I don't know if you've ever been there, but... Or a place like that in your life. You get in a place like that and it'll break you. You came with everything, you left with nothing. Does that make sense? In fact, they told us before we went on the missions trip, they said, don't bring anything nice because you're going to leave it. Just ironic. Don't give me your nice things. Anyways. But the point is, is we left with a suitcase. We, we, no one, I don't think anything returned with a suitcase. Whatever y'all want, take it. You know, heart breaks. Your hearts are broken. They've been broken before. You lose a loved one, see children abused, see divorce happen, feel terrible. But Nehemiah wasn't just like feeling bad. I need you to see that he's weeping, a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And so he goes into a fast. Which, be, which means to abstain from food. And then he goes and he prays, which means to intercede or to intervene on behalf of another. And the whole point of some days is about four months. We don't know for sure exactly, but that's the best I can give you in all of my study preparation is I think it's been about four months. 120 days, we're going to call it. 120 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that he went 120 days with no food. What I am suggesting is he did for some portion of it 
or maybe he broke it down in a couple of days he did this or did that. I don't know. Maybe he had a protein shake in the morning for 120 days and that's what he called food. I don't know. What I'm telling you is he prayed and abided. He remained for 120 days in prayer and fasting with his heart set on this. And God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation. But first, God had to do something in Nehemiah. Listen, any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in someone first. Before God will do something through you, he will do something to you. Then in verses 5 through 11, he sets the tone for the next 120 days of prayer. If you read verses 5 through 11, we do not have them on the screen. It sets the tone for the next several days. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open and to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night. Day and night I'm praying for your servants. I'm praying day and night for your people, the people of Israel. And I confess the sins, we Israelites, including myself, even though he was living in luxury, he says, I'm including myself in this. I'm bearing responsibility. And my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exalted, exiled people... Return to me and obey my commands. Or these exiled people, excuse me, are at the farthest horizon. Even if they've scattered, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. He goes on to repeat scripture. Hold on to God's promises. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, you get the glory. Or let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name, revering your name. Give your servant success today, he says, by granting him favor in the presence of this man. We get the first prayer of Nehemiah, but we don't get the next 120 days of praying. But Nehemiah prayed and fasted for 120 days. Nehemiah's approach to solving a physical problem was a spiritual solution. Nehemiah saw a problem in the physical, and his first response was to go to the supernatural. I need you to know something once again. Everything that happens in the physical is preceded by what happens in the spiritual, and Nehemiah knew that. And so Nehemiah, instead of just grabbing some construction trucks and grabbing materials and going off on a journey to rebuild the walls himself, he says, I have to go win in the spiritual realm first. If I win there, I will have victory in the physical. If I want to see the people set free, if I want to see people remaining alive in Christ, if I want to see people coming to understanding who their God is, defining their identity in Christ, I first have to win here. If I want to see my children prosper, be successful, and go places in life, I must win 
in the spiritual realm. If I want to see my marriage soar and I want to see things take off and I want to see God do great things in my wife or my husband, I have to remain in God's presence constantly. I've got to win here first. If I want my business to prosper, if I want things to grow and move forward, I've got to win here first. I can't shoot off to work without winning here first. Because whatever happens in the physical is preceded by what happens in the spiritual. And Nehemiah knew it. Before I go solve this problem and make this donation and build those walls, I've got to get with God so that God can get to me. And God can do what he needs to do in me first. The problem was so big, he needed spiritual intervention. I just came with this question today in my heart. Does anyone here need spiritual intervention? Your problem is so big. The issue feels so large. Whatever that may be, you need spiritual intervention. I need God to show up. I've been living in this fear for years, and I have tried prescription, I've tried counseling, I've tried, and I've tried, and I can't seem to get it done. I'm trying to make the business grow, I'm trying to make this happen, I'm trying to educate my children, but they're not doing well. I'm trying to do all these things, and I'm working, and I'm working, and I'm building these walls, but the enemy comes and just kicks it down like a two-year-old Lego set. And God is saying, here's your problem. It's what every great builder knows. Problem is the foundation. You're on the wrong foundation. If I were to take a Lego set and build the tower on one tiny Lego, it falls over. But if I get the right foundation, I can build a high rise. The foundation. Before Nehemiah ever begins the work of God, he goes to God and he builds a foundation of prayer. Come, I believe wholeheartedly today that this is the message that God has put in my heart for me and for you. If you want to build a legacy, men, if you want to do whatever God desires to do in your life, you need to build a prayer of foundation. A foundation of prayer. The enemy has got you so freaking busy. And yeah, I said freaking. He's got you in such a freaking hurry that you have lost time to do the necessary the necessi things first. Like do the first things first. Many of you today, I believe this wholeheartedly. I'm not speaking at you. I'm just, I'm wondering, I guess, am I preaching to anyone here that, that you've been, maybe, just maybe, you've been trying to build a life, but it doesn't seem to function right. And the problem is the foundation. How do you know when your foundation is wrong. <laughs> when was the last time you fasted and prayed to God for 120 days? 
Chances are none of you have ever done that in your life. How about 90? How about 60 days? How about 30 days? When was the last time you woke up 30 days in a row and prayed first? Let's play, let's be honest. Anyone here 30 days in a row pray every single morning? Put your hand up, it's okay. You're not boasting, I'm asking. Don't feel bad, it's okay. Did you raise your hand? All right, 27 days, how's that? <laughs> 27 out of 30, it's not bad. All right, 27 days out of 30. Anybody pray every morning, 27 out of 30 days? Raise your hand high. Okay. Reality? Should be everyone in the room, right? Okay. Point is, is putting God first on the right foundation. Nehemiah did it. I want you to see this as we wrap up. The more time Nehemiah spent with God, the more the burden grew until the problem that prompted the burden turned into action. You want a heart after God's things? Spend time with God. One of the reasons people don't ever do things, I'm sorry, one of the reasons people don't ever do things only God can do is because they don't spend enough time with God to find out what he wants to do. This summer, I'm asking you to invite, I'm inviting you on a journey. I'm just going to call it a journey with me. All right, and this is really what I'm going to be doing. Andrews, you can come up here. I didn't give you the cue earlier, so come on up. This summer, I want to invite you on a journey with me. I'm going to invite you to rebuild your life with me. God was taking Nehemiah on a 120-day journey to align their hearts. God was not just trying to build a big wall. You have to hear this. As we get into more of the book of Nehemiah, yeah, he built the wall. But he wasn't just trying to build the wall. Like God's like, look how big of a wall I could build. God was trying to do something much greater in the lives of his people. He's trying to kick out fear, insecurities, vulnerabilities, and fill his presence in his temple and in the city of his chosen people, the nation of Israel. The walls were symbolic and, and certainly were needed in the physical, but it was much greater behind that. Like God wasn't just trying to build a wall. He's trying to rebuild his people. But you got to see that he first had to go to a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah had to win the war in prayer first. He had to get aligned with God's plan. What is it that God wants to do? How does God want to approach this thing? This summer, I want to invite you on a journey. We've never done this as a church, but I felt that God was wanting us to do it. I'm inviting you. I'm not making you. I'm inviting you. And it's an invitation. And I think if you accept the invitation, it may be one of the best summers you've ever had, maybe. I, I'm not saying easy. Maybe it was difficult, but it'll be the best. I'm going to invite you and our church to join with me starting tomorrow on a 50-day fast. Why 50? I'll tell you. Because the number 50 is the number of the Holy Spirit. Number 50 also is a symbol of freedom and release of new cycles. I think God wants to rebuild something in your life. And I think most importantly, my wife asked me, 
Ricky, we were coming home from vacation yesterday, and she said, what do you want? She, great question. She has good questions. And she said, what, what do you want for the people on this fast? And I was telling her, I said, we're not fasting for growth. We're not fasting for a building. We're not fasting for land. She said, what, what, what do you want? And I shouted out, I'm driving. Kids are in the back watching the movie, and I'm like, freedom! I just want them to be free. And I knew it immediately. I was like, freedom. I just want them to be free. And I just started, she's like, whoa. It was like, I had a Starbucks, but I also was like, I want freedom. I just want you to be free. I want you to be free to worship. I want you to fall in love with Jesus. I want you to be free from the enemy. I want you to be free from fear. I want you to be free from doubt. I want you to be free from anxiety. I want you to live in freedom. Because that is exactly what God wanted to do through Nehemiah for the nation of Israel. He was saying, people, it's time to live free. It's time to live in freedom. It's time to build walls so you can be free. So you don't have to live in fear. And you don't have to live in anxiety. And you don't have to stay stuck where you are. You can Press on and accomplish all the great things that I have planned for you. But it's time to rise up, get out of fear, push it aside, push out the difficulty, rebuild the marriage. Let me speak to marriages. Your marriage is crumbling. It's time to rebuild. It's a new day. It's time to rebuild. Marriage is not over. God's going to rebuild it. He'll take old things and new things, put them together, and make new life. If your life has fallen apart, he's a phenomenal craftsman. He'll rebuild you. He'll make you new. I want you to have freedom. I believe, I really do, if you go on this journey with me, a 50-day fast, seeking God, that's starting tomorrow, and it ends July 26th. The last Sunday of July is July 25th, because the Monday, the 26th, is 50 days. Yep, July 26th. 50-day fast. Invite the Holy Spirit to take over your life. Surrender. Even if you're not a believer in this room, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to take the next 50 days. Say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I surrender. If you run a company, you run a business, put it on the altar. God, whatever you want to do in my life. I just want you. Nehemiah left all he had. He put it on the table. You're going to find out, of course, that he sets it aside. He leaves the life that he had. He had it made. And yet, he leaves it at the side. He says, God, whatever you want. But Nehemiah would never had his heart aligned with God had he not first spent time with God. I believe today God just wants to begin a journey, a 50-day journey with you to rebuild your life.
to rebuild your marriage, to rebuild your homes. If you're married and your marriage is great, that's awesome. Maybe it needs to rebuild your home. Lay the proper foundation. Your business. Maybe you need to reevaluate how your business is ran or how it's giving its funds or just re-look at it and lay the proper foundation. Take the next 50 days and fast. Now here's the fast. Here's my instruction on fasting. Okay. Food. It's, I'm going to fast Facebook on Mondays. I'm going to fast Instagram. And it's such a sacrifice to not have to look at my phones. I'm going to invite you to do something. Unless you are physically unable because of health or pregnancy or something like that, I'm going to invite you to fast food. Yep. Give up a meal. Give up sweets maybe. Give up. But don't give up the sugar in my coffee. Come on, people. Really? Black coffee for 50 days, Lord. I'm just saying, we get kind of crazy with stuff like that. Have you heard of some? I've heard people do that. I, yeah, I'm not doing a flavored creamer in my coffee. I'm doing original. I've, ha- I've heard people do stuff like that. And it's like for real sacrifice. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyways, I want, I want to invite you. Okay. So confession here. Was on a fast 21 days a while back. No one knew about it. My wife, that's about it. I did a 21-day fast. And, right. and during that fast, I found myself in moments where I was tempted to eat. I didn't do a full fast, but I fasted throughout the day, and then I just had a meal at night. That's a Jewish fast. I'll say it again. A fast throughout the day, and then just a meal at night when the sun goes down. So sun up to sun down, no, no eating. Anyways, there was points on the fast I felt like God allowed me to do some things, but for the most part, that's what I did. But moments where I was tempted to eat... This is literally what I said. I want you more than I want that food. And I really did. There's the secret. I want you way more than I want that meal. And so I would go to pray. That's fasting. It is suppressing the desires of the flesh, hunger, to feed the spirit. I want you to feed my spirit more than I want that meal. Now, talk to your doctor if you need to. Relook at your health life and stuff like that. and Make all the best determinations you can. I'll leave it on your own. I won't babysit you on the journey. But I'm going to invite you with me to join me tomorrow starting a 50-day fast. And then, we'll just see what happens. Let me pray for you. Prayer team, if you come forward. Jesus, Today, we begin a rebuild. If you need someone to pray with you today, would you come here? Just come here and just say, God, I need need some prayer today. Someone to stand with me. Come here, if that's you. Just come up here, we're going to pray with you. Don't be afraid. Just come forward. Jesus, amen. I'm proud of your courage just for coming forward. If there's a man in the room, come forward. If you need prayer for something, we ask people down the front, we'll pray with you. Amen. Hey, 
Carol, would you come up here for just a minute? Anybody else need prayer for something today? If you're at home watching online, let us know. Fill out a card. Anybody else need prayer? We want to pray with you. Got people stand with you, pray with you, anybody. Jesus, we give you this time and this space to have your will. We say yes to you. If you today you want to make God the center of your life, you just tell him, say, God, I want to make you the center of my life. And then your next step is to go to Brave Central and just tell somebody, I want to put God first in my life. What do I do? It's going to be such a huge step of courage. But if you walk through that, man, just the freedom you'll feel on the other side, it's like no other. We're here for you. We love you. We're so glad you came today. Jesus, thank you for being with us. Lord, help us on this fast. Let thy will be done. What else prayer would we ever want to say that could come against that? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Jesus, we love you. In your name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here, for being brave. Uh, if this is your first time with us, man, we would love to visit with you. I'll be out at Brave Central. I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, get to know you and your family, answer any questions that you might have. Well, these people will be down front. You know, if you need prayer for something, if you're married and you need something, marriage, you know, just prayer for your family, your kids or something like that. Keep praying for our kids as they go off to VBS this week as well. Um, but hey, we love you guys. Next week we'll be here Sunday, 10 a.m. Bring a friend. Uh, can't wait to see all that God does for you and through you on this fast. All of our information on our church is on our website. If you need access or questions about the fast throughout, hey, don't feel weird to call us, email us. All that information is there. Let us know. We're here for you. We love you. God bless you. May God bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May he hold you with grace. And may you have a blessed week. We love you guys. Take care.